Last Thursday, I sat down to lunch with somebody who's becoming a friend. We're right in that transition between having spent lots of time together in groups with other friends and running into each other kind of pleasantly in our neighborhood to spending one-on-one time together. I showed up on Thursday last week after a pretty crummy Wednesday, and I joined him at his lunch spot, which is becoming our lunch spot. So how are things, he asked. And of course, he added, now that we're adults, like middle-aged adults, there's never any news to share. Like, before I even got a chance to answer. He said, you know, nothing happens to us, really, unless it's bad or boring. Exactly, I said. Part of why my Wednesday was so bad was that I spent hours on the phone trying to figure out health insurance. I had a lot of feelings about it, but none of them were worth discussing because everyone hates getting on the phone with health insurance people. It's both boring and bad, and he agreed. I had been hoping that he would take the bait and I would get to talk about it anyway, but no. (laughs) We've hit a place, he and I, of, of regular life that's actually kind of a sign of privilege. You know, we're not struggling for survival. We have the luxury of daily, boring, regular life maintenance. Neither of us right now are dealing with any big grief, although of course at some point we will. We're each in a period of relative ease. And there's a lot to be said for that. But the regular adult maintenance can also act as a kind of numbing agent. I mean, I feel it, and I'm prone to noticing things in people, you know. I'm not very anesthetized, but I feel it. I feel the anesthetic of the daily. When I was a child, the world was almost too full of the wonderful. I could hardly stand it. The church my dad pastored in northern Michigan was right next door to our house, but in order to walk from the church door to our front door, you had to walk down what was probably a little hill past our backyard. One winter night, I walked home alone after church, and I saw a thing that I didn't know could happen. It was the kind of cold when your nose hairs freeze, like a hard, dry cold. And the snow, which was, let's say, deep and crisp and even, glittered like diamonds, I thought. I hadn't seen it like that, although I'd seen plenty of snow on the ground at nighttime. What made it happen? I mean, the snow, it wasn't falling. It was just on the ground heavily, and it sparkled and caught the light and kind of refracted it. And it seemed like I was seeing something that was ordinarily in the world, but but unseen, like cracking through. Mostly snow at night is white in the darkness, and there's no magic to it. But after that, I watched for it. When I was a child, one early spring day, the wind picked up like I had never felt it, and I played out on the church lawn in my good Sunday coat, amazed that the wind could have such force, and I leaned into it. It wasn't strong enough to hold me up or anything, but I nearly cried at how strong it was. Who knew? Who knew that while the sun was shining, the wind could pick up that strongly, that you could lean into it with such joy? When I was a child, there was no way to convey the astonishment I felt at the world, how a certain song would compel me to get up from the dinner table to dance in the living room, or how it felt to walk as a fourth grader through the halls of our town high school, how good the book Tuck Everlasting is. Anyone who spends time with kids know how they can open you up 
to what you've become anesthetized to. How their astonishment at the world can slow you down like while you're trying to run errands. How their wonder gets told over dinner haltingly while they try to um, convey in great detail something that they've seen that if you were honest or if you were a jerk, you would cut in and say, yeah, I've seen that before. Everyone has seen that. As adults, our opportunities for wonder diminish for so many reasons. Because we're in a place of relative privilege, because we're focusing on maintenance, boring things like steadily making our student loan payments, or because we do have adult-sized grief. We're in the middle of it. We have healing to do. It's taking up all of our bandwidth right now. Or we run out of wonder because we have truly seen so much already. I mean, everybody has. Like my new friend at lunch says, practically speaking, there's not that much new going on. As far as we know, Mary had never seen an angel before. When the angel Gabriel was sent to her in Nazareth by God, she had, I feel it's pretty safe to assume, been living a pretty regular life. She was young, so there was still plenty she hadn't seen, and this, the angel, was way outside even of that. So she was, of course, perplexed, and she, of course, wondered what kind of greeting it was when the angel called her favored, and wondered what it meant when the angel told her God is with you, and that all was before things got weird. Before the angel told Mary she'd have a child, and what would be said about that child, and that her relative Elizabeth was also unbelievably pregnant, This scene of Mary and Elizabeth together, it's one of my favorite scenes in the whole Bible. Both of them together, pregnant. And theirs aren't the only miraculous pregnancies in the Bible, but they are, as far as I know, the only ones who experience it together. They are the ones who get to huddle up together to tell each other their astonishment. The only ones who get to tell each other in a rush of details, oh, oh, wait, did I tell you this? Haltingly, all of the unbelievable things that were happening to them. All of the things that they hadn't known could happening, that they hadn't known could happen that were happening with a flush of affirmation. I can see on your face what I must look like. My God, the baby kicked when he heard your voice. Blessed are you, blessed are you. And they got to see in each other, with each other, the wonder of the thing that was happening. Our offices are upstairs, and for probably two years, there's been a box smack in the middle of one of the bookshelves. There's an attractive sticker on the front of it that says in gold, provoking wonder. And last week in staff meeting, kicking around for what to do on this last Sunday of Advent, Vince and Evan and I opened it. A couple of Vince's friends made the box for an Advent project at their church a few years ago. They made it so they could mail it out to folks in the church who requested it and then people could use what was in it at home. And we opened this box, having looked at it sitting on the shelf for truly two years. We opened it to find fistfuls of that crumpled up paper, that's actually what was on my stole that I took it off when I first got up to the front. Crinkled paper that we, that we moved back and we took out candles and a little bundle of colored pencils a roll of what we thought were chocolates. And as we unpacked it, we really did notice an emerging sense of wonder. What's this? 
What's this for? What is this? How are you supposed to use it? There was a little note inside the box that warned us there were no instructions and that we would be fine. I don't want to preach about this moment, I said to Vince and Evan. It's a little too meta. It's a little too how the sausage gets made. It turns out there were a few instructions after all. Thank God, because the chocolates turned out to be charcoal. (laughs) Self-burning charcoal for a little bowl that the instructions warned us repeatedly would become very hot. And there was a little bag of frankincense and myrrh, which again, thank God for the instructions, we were supposed to add only once the self-burning charcoal was burning, and then only one little piece at a time, not a little heap like we had planned. You should have heard our plans before we read the instructions. The clock ticked toward 3 o'clock, which is when our staff meeting ends, and we kept asking different versions of the same question. Is this how we should be spending our worship planning time? I had to come downstairs to get matches for the charcoal, and the charcoal finally caught and burned. Vince, you shouldn't be holding it. It'll burn your fingers. And then we set it on the bowl, and then we set the little piece of frankincense and myrrh on top of it. Vince took a lap of the offices to see if there are smoke detectors up there, which, good news, bad news, there are not. This place is going to smell like a head shop for weeks, Vince said. And then it was three. The meeting was over. The thing that was astonishing about the provoking wonder box is that three adults poured over its contents, trying to figure out what to do and how, even in the face of a very strong suspicion that it was not the best use of our time in the week before Christmas, The thing that was astonishing is that it actually provoked wonder. When we think we've seen it all, when we're in our regularly scheduled middle-aged life, there's a risk in at least a couple of directions. One is that we might miss beauty. Another is that we might miss need. When we're weary of our own or others suffering, you know, it's stuff that happens, we grieve, we're hungry, we have mental illness, we're lonely, we can't make ends meet. We might miss it, and kids are helpful in that regard too. You know, when they first learn that some people are homeless, or when they first learn that there are people suffering in ways that they've never considered. I saw a young man just last night who, I had forgotten about this, he once interrupted a children's sermon because He had to tell me and the congregation in great, gruesome, halting detail about a problem that he had just learned about. Hookworm, he said. There are people in the world with hookworm. And then he wanted to tell me and the congregation about the solution. He was working with classmates to raise money to buy shoes for kids who need them. The adults, the congregation, who were able to smile and appreciate his passion and to recognize it as something good, I don't know that any of us caught his urgency, his astonishment that this thing is happening right now in the world to other kids, his astonishment that we could help just by getting them shoes. Of course we know. I mean, we already know. I don't know about hookworm, (laughs) about a thousand other needs, some far greater than that. There's so much need in the world that if we focused on it, if we tried to feel it all, we couldn't stand it. This is a real question. Can you smell the incense in here? 
Could you smell it when you came in? We burned a little bit up here this morning, and at first it was very strong, and we talked about the fact that it was stronger in here this morning than it was in the closed space of our office upstairs. Must have dispersed. We stopped smelling it almost right away. And that's how something, how fast something new gets old. Mary and Elizabeth in their little huddle, they were pregnant with people who retained their capacity for wonder. Jesus, John the Baptizer. People who retained their capacity for wonder at the needs of the world, the need for healing, the need for forgiveness, the need for shared meals and relationship, the need for speaking unwanted truth to those who stand in the face of truth to lose power. Mary and Elizabeth were pregnant with people who retained their capacity for imagining the suffering of others and the solutions that might be helpful. Pregnant with John, the radical reformer, and with Jesus. Two children through whose eyes we can still see the wonder of what's possible. Deserts in bloom, and the rich sent away hungry. Before they were born, before they were born, their very existence was breathtaking, first and foremost to their mothers. Through their pregnancies and before anyone else, Mary and Elizabeth caught a glimpse of something truly new, something with the potential to stir in them and then in others and then in us a sense of wonder that sets us, that sets us to digging through the stuff of the world with a reawakened sense of astonishment to see what's there to see what wonderful things might happen, even in the midst of grief or suffering, our own or that of the world's. They were pregnant with babies, with stories that we're used to now. They were pregnant with something brand new that at the same time has always been what God is about. All this beauty, all this need. They were pregnant with the possibility that we might again and again, notice for what feels like the first time with wonder, all that is ordinarily in the world but mostly goes unseen. So that we might bear witness to one another. I can see in your face what I must look like. Blessed are you. It's enough to take your breath away. <laughs>